Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. In this episode, Carolyn Howell talks about the challenges of delivering supported accommodation in a rural area. Carolyn is Chief Executive of Solo Housing Association, who specialise in providing accommodation for single people with a range of support needs. Carolyn talks about some of the new and innovative ways they have developed to deliver support and how they're working with landlords to be able to support more people. Hi, Carolyn. It's great to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks very much for inviting me. Oh, it's fab. For people who don't know you, do you want to introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about you? Yes. Well, my name's Carolyn Howell. Um, I'm Chief Executive of Solo Housing, and we're a small um, supported housing provider um, operating in in the eastern region in Norfolk and Suffolk. It's our sort of uh, counties that we we operate in. Um, I've been with Solo just over five years now as chief executive. Uh, Prior to that, I worked for Shelter, the national homelessness charity. Um, So, you know, I've I've learned a lot actually uh, joining um, Solo. I didn't work in the support housing sector before I joined. So yeah, it's, it's been great. We've got a great little team as well. And so what kind of work do you do at Solo? You know, when you say it's supported accommodation, who are, who are the people that you're working with mostly there? So uh, the clue is kind of in the name. So we work with single people. That's that's always been our focus and will continue to be our focus, um, partly because um, single people often struggle to to access services. They're not necessarily um uh, available, not available, not a, able to access sort of statutory services. Um, you know, they don't have the the same rights, for example, as families or or single parents necessarily. Uh, so it's quite challenging uh, for single people. So it just feels right um, for us to continue to to focus on their needs. Um, so we are we're sort of three things in a way. We're a small housing association one of the smaller ones. Um, We're a charity and we're also a a company limited by Karen T. So we've got sort of three regulators um, that we're answerable to. And I think particularly with the social housing sector, certainly the regulation seems to be increasing um, quite a bit at the moment. Um, So we've got a range of services, really. Uh, In terms of where we operate, we operate in... South Norfolk and Broadland, um, Breckland, Great Yarmouth um, and Lowestoft. And then we also operate in Baber and Mid-Suffolk. And our head office is actually in Dis, which is conveniently kind of the epicentre of all those areas. Everywhere is sort of an hour away, it's sort of in a circle, which has worked quite well for us, really. Um, and DIS has got quite good transport links as well. And we've got, you know, some of our projects are, are based in DIS too. Um, in terms of our services, so we sort of develop services, I would say, to try and meet need. Um, we set out a five-year business plan uh, five years ago. Well, just under five years ago. It's coming to the end of the plan um, next financial year. But we didn't put targets in that of, you know, we want to get to 200 bed spaces by X date or whatever. We've 
we've tended to focus on what is the need and, and how do we meet that and, and work that way. So we find ourselves with about 150 bed spaces of support accommodation at the moment. So we've grown by about 40 percent over the last um, four years. So it's been a gradual process, really. Um, and we provide supported accommodation for single people. Um, I suppose it's distinct from supported living in that it's um, our, our client group have a home background in homelessness, um, substance misuse, um, mental health, other health issues, um, care leavers in the criminal justice system, etc. Um, but the idea really of our supported accommodation is it's temporary. So it's uh, around about 18 months to two years and would normally stay with us with a view to um, sort of getting back on their feet, addressing any issues that they have when they come to us and then sort of moving on to the, the next stage of their lives, really. So it's um, it's not seen as long term accommodation. And that's partly because of that's what the need is. Um, and secondly, that's a commissioning requirement basically so we're contracted by both Suffolk County and Norfolk County councils um, under their sort of adult care services effectively um, to provide that form of accommodation basically well that's that's some of the accommodation we provide um, we've then sort of evolved that service so I suppose that's been our core um, but then we've evolved the same kind of model, but for particular client groups. So we've developed a project for women in the criminal justice system because there was a need identified, um, particularly South Norfolk District Council actually approached us originally and said they felt they had a need um, for women who wanted to return to the district. Um, they may have been in prison. Our, our local women's prison is in Peterborough, so it's it's a little way away, but it's not, you know, it's an hour, an hour or so away. Um, and they just didn't have any supported accommodation that was suitable. So we've set up a project particularly for women in the criminal justice system. Um, and it's worked really well, actually. I mean, it's got lots of challenges. Um, and it took a while to get going because we were setting it up in the COVID lockdown. Um, so it's a small project. We've got six beds of accommodation for, for women. And again, is, is that in one property? Is that how that's? No, it isn't like actually. We've got um, two, two bed shares and then two single units. Um, some of the women just really struggle to share, to be honest. Um, so it's good to have some single person units as an option as well, really. Um, I mean, we really would like to expand that project because there's clearly a high need and you know not just in South Norfolk district in, in all the districts really so we're looking um how we can expand that and I think the MOJ is sort of looking at funding for for that type of service as well um, that would be the Ministry of Justice by the sorry, MOJ yes, isn't it? no really, just yes. just making sure <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely that we're, yeah. we're clear for everybody yeah brilliant <laughs> yeah so you know that that's been a really interesting project we've learned quite a lot uh, along the way I think about um you know those women are particularly vulnerable. Um, they've had really challenging lives, basically, um, and do need a lot of support. Um, but they've done brilliantly. Um, some of them have, you know, 
well, they've done an amazing job themselves, really. Once they've got into that accommodation, got a support worker who's sort of behind them, really. Um, I mean, one woman has um, done a completed a forklift truck truck driving course, you know, wants to get a job. And, you know, she had to give up alcohol to do that. So mm-hmm. that that really was a sort of motivation for her to do that. Um, we've had other women who've uh, taken part in a jewellery making course that we, we ran um, for them. We got some funding for that. And that was a real sort of confidence boost for them. So they've made lots of items of jewellery, which we're now selling to raise some money to run another course for another group of women so um it's all really about you know empowering people to to kind of recognize their own skills actually because they all come to us with skills and they've all done things in their lives um it just so happens that when they join us you know they may be facing particular challenges really um so what else do we do so we we also developed a project for rough sleepers in breckland district council area so breckland district council grant funders for that um they're actually in turn grant funded by the um rough sleeper initiative the, the government national initiative um and again a lot of this came out of sort of covid really and the everybody in so in norfolk i think the districts were quite successful at getting people in um but keeping them in was quite difficult. You know, people drifted away for, for various reasons and there basically wasn't enough supported accommodation for, for certain groups. So the council approached us to set up a project for rough sleepers. So um, the rough sleepers that they were working with, again, single people, um, refer to us. We then accommodate them um, and we basically sort of work with them to again decide what their next steps are that might be going into more of a sort of medium term supported accommodation or it could be accessing private rented sector accommodation um again it's been quite a successful project you know people have once they've got into that accommodation, they've got into work, they've got, you know, into sort of more settled life and then been able to, to move on, basically. Um, so we're just in the process of expanding that. So we've got four beds at the moment in one property and we're expanding that to 10 beds next month um, because there's still really high need. Um, unfortunately, a lot of rough sleepers in, in all the districts, really, but yeah. Breckland particularly. Um, so, so those are the kind of projects that we've sort of worked from our baseline of supported accommodation, housing related support, as it's usually referred to by commissioners. And then what can we do to sort of target particular projects and particular need, really, but with the same principles about how we operate? Amazing. And, and I love the fact that you're working in the different areas and doing some really innovative stuff in different ways, you know, to meet the needs that people have. Obviously, you're working in quite a rural community. Um, what are the challenges of trying to get hold of accommodation and what are the challenges delivering the support in, in that kind of community? Um, I think, I mean, there's, there's a number of challenges for rural communities. Um, partly, I think, the people that we work with have been quite hidden, actually. They're not people, I don't think the general public are particularly aware of homelessness in, in rural areas. And I think it's increasing and we certainly keep banging on about it. But, you know, they are quite hidden, really. Um, so, you know, challenge one is 
how does somebody access a service? You know, how do they know where to go to access a service? Um, because and similar what sofa surfing and sleeping in cars, things like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Tents, cars, outbuildings, floors, etc. Mm-hmm. And some of them um, quite wary of approaching the local authority. Um, you know, they may not have had a great experience in, in the past or probably assume they're not going to get any help to be honest um so I mean we have have actually got a our own sort of homelessness prevention service um which we use to sort of target and sort of reach out to people um so people can approach us directly um or they come via other agencies basically so I suppose sorry it's a bit rambling but um I think access is a challenge because people don't always know where to go. And it's, you know, I think people who are homeless in the larger towns and cities can almost become a bit of a community in themselves and they find out where to go because they tell each other, et cetera. But people who are homeless in rural areas are very isolated. Um, So, you know, trying to find people and reaching out to them is, is quite important, really. Um, so that that's one challenge I mean geography just physical geography (laughs) is quite interesting there aren't really any great roads in Norfolk and Suffolk so much Um, so you know just from a service delivery point of view it's deciding where you're going to base your staff so that geographically they can get to the accommodation that that we're providing or meeting people in the community um and you know there's an expectation for frontline workers to have a car because you just can't get around these counties without your own transport um and you know that's quite expensive for people as as well so I think that that can be quite a challenge in in a rural area sort of an extra cost as well um and I suppose the thing that's really been hitting us perhaps in the last year is affordability so and that's having a double effect, really, because that's increasing homelessness because of people not being able to afford accommodation in rural areas. And then it's having a knock on effect for us trying to secure accommodation where we secure it from private landlords whose expectations have, have raised, basically, in terms of what they think financially their return is going to be. Um because the um, rents have gone up significantly. Yeah, in your area. yeah, yeah. So you know, we work with a lot of um, private landlords, and we've had some long-standing relationships, um, and we know that they're under financial pressure as well. Um, but I just think the whole house price inflation has just had a knock-on effect, basically, for everybody, really. And you know, we've noticed that. Um, I mean, South Norfolk district, for example, is is now a very popular second home area. Um, It's almost feels because the the coastal parts in this part of the world have always been very popular. Um, But it's almost sort of coming inland a bit because I think, you know, people who would have perhaps wanted a second home, that's become unaffordable in certain parts and they're kind of moving. It feels like they're moving in our direction um and I you know it's made the prices go up generally and a lot of people are working from home now as well aren't they mm. so you know they may benefit from quite good salaries from outside of the county 
but you know and that's that gives them more options around what they can spend compared to people who you know live and work in the county as well mm. I suppose so so it's been quite a lot of pressures really on on housing costs generally I think because housing benefit hasn't gone up significantly to match that has it I think people don't realize that that housing benefit hasn't no. gone up to match it and so if you're you know you're claiming housing benefit for the people you're supporting you're not going to be able to meet those those high rents no no there's, there's a there's a quite a big gap basically and again I think for single people um I mean, there's not really a lot of um, single accommodation around, really, particularly in rural areas. It's not like you've got blocks of flats sort of dotted around everywhere, one bed flats, etc. A lot of it is family accommodation, bigger houses. All the houses that are being built seem to be three, four bed properties, basically. Um, so there's just not enough single unit accommodation for, for people as well in, in rural areas and increasingly for in the social housing sector as well. I mean, that's that's one of our key challenges, really, because that has a knock on effect for those in our supported housing who finished their support plan. Um, they may have moved into work. They're ready to move on. And then the move on options, you know, are quite challenging for them because there's not much on the sort of social housing register to apply for um so they're competing with a lot of different people um and the private sector is is very expensive for them unfortunately so so that must have a big issue for you as a service delivery point of view because you end up with people kind of stuck in your accommodation i guess if they can't move on Mm. yeah which you know is not um it's not what we're trying to achieve. It's blocking that bed for somebody who does have support needs. Um, so, you know, it's, yeah, it has a knock on effect, really. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, that must be a really big challenge. What do you think some of the solutions are? What do you think needs to change or what is changing or how are you working to come around some of those problems? Well, from our own point of view, one of the things we have got an opportunity, I suppose, because, um in DIS, we, we have a, a, we call it a hostel, but it's more like a, a, a shared, well, it's a shared house, really. It's a seven bed and then a six bed unit next door on, on um, the same site, which we own. So we've got a little plot of land behind there, which we've been uh, working on plans to get planning permission to develop so that we've actually, you know, what we'd like to achieve is our own one bed move on flats um, for some of the people in our supported accommodation or they might be in other supported accommodation in, in the area basically um, so you know that's okay we can only get nine flats probably on on that site but you know that would make quite a difference actually um, in terms of unlocking some more of that potential um, so that you know on a very small scale that, that's something that that we're trying to do um, in terms of securing accommodation for a project so we continue to work with private landlords but increasingly we're we're actually working with other larger social housing providers um so the women's accommodation service that i mentioned earlier um we've worked with saffron housing trust who've basically uh leased us units of accommodation that they've actually found quite hard to let from a sort of general needs point of view for for various reasons 
Um, but they work perfectly well for for the supported housing that that we want to provide. So that that's been a, a good solution. That's been a really positive partnership piece of work. Um, and similarly for the off the street project with Ross Sleepers, we're working with flagship um, housing who are leasing us a um, couple of properties as well. So that that's one solution. Obviously, that's sort of they have to be mindful that they can't take out a lot of stock out of the social housing stock because mm -hmm. then that sort of defeats the purpose. But I think particularly with some of the ones they've leased us, they're, they're two, three bed properties, um, which for whatever reason, they're struggling to let to a family, but actually as a shared house for three single people work very well. So, you know, it's just about maximizing the stock that's, mm. that's available really. Um, what else are we we doing? I mean, we 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 do continue to work with private landlords, and we do get private landlords um, that are approaching us. And you know, I would say, you know, talk talk to us because we're actually a really good organisation to work with. Obviously, I'm very biased, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we've got a lot of experience with working with private landlords, and we've basically got a property service that we can provide them. We've got our own in-house property specialist team in terms of property management and we've got our own building surveyor so they can provide lots of technical advice around compliance and, and building regulations for a landlord um, so you know we can work with landlords to give them a good package really that keeps them safe um, you know ensures that their properties are fully compliant um, basically they will lease property to us for between three and five years generally um, we'll fix the rent um, we try and fix the rent at below what they would get on the open market um, but basically that's because they're going to get that rent 52 weeks of the year regardless of whether it's full or not because you know we're going to cover that and we manage that property, we let it, we do everything pretty much for them, really. And if it's something that the landlord needs to do, then we advise them and they either decide whether they want to do that piece of work themselves or we can facilitate that as well. So, you know, in our own mind, you know, it's a good property management service without having to pay an estate agent's fees, etc. So, um, but, you know, we we want to have an open conversation with um, investors and, and landlords about what the expectation is, really. Um, I mean, we're a social landlord. There's lots of regulations that we need to meet increasingly. So new regulations coming in. But then equally, there's new regulations going to come in for private landlords mm. as well. And I suppose it's partly about how we can work with landlords to uh, kind of educate them to a certain extent about the pros and cons of being a landlord to a certain yeah. extent <laughs> and what the risks are and what you need to think about and and what the real costs are as well because you know it's it's quite challenging um and I suppose you know we would say if uh, an investor is looking at a property they want to purchase that they may want to let to us and we've got a couple that are doing that at the moment um just factoring in those future compliance costs into their into their business model really is going to be really important mm. 
Absolutely. And like you say, by the time you've taken into account some voids, you know, even if it's just for a few weeks, that pretty quickly eats into your profits on a standard buy to let. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we find, you know, our landlords, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, they'll get permission from their mortgage lender as well. So that's all that that's all covered. And, you know, hopefully the mortgage lender will see that that's quite a good arrangement as well really um, I mean that's definitely a challenge for property investors is lending I know I bang on about it all the time so yeah. you know listeners to the podcast will hit, be very familiar with that but that is a real challenge for property investors but um we're yeah something we're working on to hopefully change that a little bit absolutely yeah and I mean the funding packages for social housing is a is a challenge as well you know we've sort of hopefully we'll get our planning permission through we've had our sort of initial costings for developing these flats we've got a rough idea of how much homes england might put into that scheme but there's still quite a gap actually Mm. (laughs) to fill and you know that is one of the challenges um i think more needs to be thought about how organizations like us can pull together a funding package to Mm. to provide those solutions because you know it's we're a small organization if we did the development we would be working in partnership with Orwell Housing who've got their own development team so we'd be using their expertise but it would be nice to think that small organizations like us could develop you know small schemes that Mm. meet a a particular need it doesn't always have to be the larger housing associations. Well, you're on the ground, you know what the need is in your community and you understand your community really well. So surely you're, you should be delivering that solution for them. You know, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that, that's our, our thinking, really. Mm. And it helps to for us to grow with an asset base mm. as well. It gives us a longer term asset, basically. So although short term, you know, it can look a bit challenging to stack up, but you have to sort of continue to add to your asset base, really. Mm. And that's certainly something the regulator's looking at, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of you guys So Yeah, absolutely. Carolyn, thank you. That's been really, really helpful. Thank you for sharing your experiences with us today. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to add in? Um, anything else about collaborative working or anything else you wanted to say? Um, I suppose what else? What's going on? I, well, the, I suppose one of our solutions that we've worked in partnership with is um, with a charity called the Benjamin Foundation. And they're a supported accommodation provider, but they work with young people, sort of the cohort between 18s and 30s kind of age range. Um, they, they approached us um, around a sort of partnership approach to delivering a service. There was a particular project that they'd taken on in Great Yarmouth, which was at risk of, of failing, basically. Um, because they needed a housing association in the chain to be the landlord for that particular supported accommodation provision. It's um it's how the exempt accommodation um benefit payment work basically. Um the 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 local authority housing benefit department needs that assurance that you've got a housing association in the chain for mm-hmm. them to be able to sort of agree the exempt rents for supported accommodation um so you know that's worked quite well we we've taken that on we basically take on the properties so we sort of take on that landlord 
function of compliance and standards, etc. And then the Benjamin Foundation act as the support provider. Um, so that that's sort of been a, a great sort of way of two organisations working together to achieve a, a common objective, really. And we, you know, we're looking to grow that. Um, well, we are growing that sort of uh, provision basically in other parts and moving into Suffolk as well. So, you know, it's I think it's important, you know, we're not big organisations. We can't work in silo. Um, you know, we like to work together um, to come up with solutions, really. So that that's worked quite well. Fantastic. And I think, you know, like you say, that collaborative working is a really positive way forward, isn't it, to, to help everybody? So Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We're all busy. So it's good to kind of share what we've got, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Carolyn, thank you very much. We'll pop your contact details in the show notes so people can get hold of you if they want to. And um, that's great. Thanks for sharing your time today. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. If you want to find out more, please go to my website, www lisabrown.uk, where you can download a free guide to supported living property.